We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Thursday, love to catch up with Charles Newington, the National Director of Family Voice Australia, who brings us some tremendous insights into those things that are in the headlines shaping our culture this very week. Charles Newington, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Charles, uh, you're in Adelaide today, uh, manning the home office, uh, Family Voice Australia. Is it a warm one in Adelaide? Um, I got into the office rather early, so I don't know what the difference is like outside. <laughs> you're comfortably sitting <laughs> in the air when conditioning. I came, when I <laughs> well, Charles, big things happening around the world, not just on our doorstep here in Australia, but the UK is going to the polls today. Uh, later today, their polls will open. Uh, basically, something like a Brexit vote. Uh, it all comes down to this very significant election. What are your thoughts for what's happening in the UK? Yes, well, I think it's uh, it's going to be something that we're going to look back on as a, as an example of of the kind of influence of globalisation uh, on society and the way in which society is changing. You know, the old categories of being patriotic or having a strong sense of of national identity and uh, thinking. You know, of, you know, we love to think of ourselves as Australians. You know, we think we say that. But um, I'm conscious of the fact that the, there are other influences that are changing the way that people identify, and and uh, and their sense of nationhood is one of those. And and Brexit really really plays out that you know are are they Europeans? Are they part of the global community, or, or is there still a kind of a residual sense of what it is to be um, uh, 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 British? And it's going to be fascinating to see how that works out. Well, it'll either be Boris Johnson continuing on as Prime Minister, or it could be the alternative, Jeremy Corbyn. And uh, depend on what side of the uh, spectrum you might sit on uh, politically as to what you think of those two characters, uh, what are your thoughts for the way that, you know, if, uh, if the Brits decide to go along with Jeremy Corbyn, uh, what do you think might happen? Well, he's made some, you know, very kind of radical kind of statements about uh, about his sense of affiliation and uh, his sympathy for the, the Kremlin, for instance, and the old old guard socialism, and um, people like um, you know Hamas and 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 parties, anti-Semitic parties, these sorts of things. And it's interesting how politics works these days because these things matter to some people, but it seems. To the vast majority, they'll override that if they're going to get the free internet or something like that, which is something else he's offering. You know, free internet, free university, who cares who he hates or loves, so long as I can get my smartphone reception as clearly as I want to. You know, this sort of sense of um, building politics around, uh, you know, throwing cake to the poor or, you know, are appealing to the disenfranchised without any sense of national good. You know, it, that's the thing about globalization is it's it, it's undermining the sense of what's good for the nations, going to the polls on what's good for them. And, and uh, that's been the, the subtle appeal of this uh, very sophisticated and well-financed attempt to kind of uh, make Brexit impossible. Uh, and if that means having somebody who's 
who's um, an anti-Semite in in the in the house part in you know in Ten Downing Street. Well, so be it. Mm. Well, it'll be troubling, isn't it? It very troubling, and we'll start to see some results, no doubt, start to trickle through later tomorrow. I suspect, uh, given mm. our time differences here and uh, the polling situation in the UK, uh, let's come back to home here, Charles. The second exposure draft of the religious discrimination bill. Uh, there's some more things to talk about here uh, because the government didn't take too long uh, with a second exposure draft. The, the Prime Minister said he'd release this before Christmas. He's done that just this week. And now there's more to talk about here. And, and there is a certain sense here, Charles, in which there has been a lot of consultation in getting to the point where uh, these exposure drafts are now in the public domain and we're being able to talk about those things. Um, consultation's been an important aspect of how the government's brought this about. Yes, uh, I obviously, you know, I'm just a sort of a, a, a low-quality commentator in some regards, but in this sense... I, when Don't I underrate this, yourself, Charles. <laughs> well, what I'm saying about it, though, is that when we first began the process, the level of consultation was actually quite poor. And it was because of the fact that, um, you know, courageous people, people like, um, you know, Archbishop Anthony Fisher and, uh, and Glenn Davis, these men and others, uh, they, they, they kept knocking on the door and they kept uh, uh, making sure that consultation occurred. And it was like there was a major shift in the culture taking place. Uh, where uh, where consultation was being taken seriously, it seemed initially that that was not the case, and so finally, what we've got in the second draft is we've got some evidence of the fact that the government is actually consulting and not just tokenistically consulting. You know, sometimes when I attend submissions, the parliamentary submissions uh, about legislation that's uh, that's being considered or something like that, you, you know, you meet with uh, the, the representative group of politicians from the different sections of the of the parliament, and uh, the, it's very tokenistic. You know, you get the feeling like they're just going through the motions and, 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 and they're, they're going to file your submission and they're not going to take any notice of it or whatever. But this process has been much more interactive. It's been people, not just paper, um, uh, talking to each other and, and that's a really good sign and I hope we get more of it I, I think that this is how law should be actually worked through it shouldn't be left to the to, to the to the um, to the lawyers that work with the politicians and draft it and just uh, try to push it through without reference uh, to the public uh, in fact there's been legislation like that when you think about the the, the legislation for instance uh, that the, the passed on abortion in Queensland or uh, you know that, that was a case in point it, it, the level of actual consultation the actual listening to people um, was was very low and I hope that this sets a new standard of how we actually do the business of legislating in the country. Okay, consultation good and uh, what's happened with this second draft, I get the impression that uh, Christian leaders are a whole lot happier with this. That means that another side that will be antagonistic uh, will not be happy and uh, no doubt there'll be a hornet's nest uh, of all sorts of opposition that might well come. But this second draft affirms the right of religious bodies to hire with a preference for people of their own faith. And that's been something that does appear to be uh, significant in this draft and that has to be looked on as a good move, Charles. 
Well, well, I would think so. I mean, it's just common sense positive uh, discrimination that happens everywhere in society. It's, it's, you, you know, a company needs to think about whether a person fits their profile or whatever, uh, and all sorts of organisations they need to have more flexibility on 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 hiring the the people they feel that are right for their organisation. And this is very very true for uh, organisations that are faith based. Obviously, if you if you are being forced to hire somebody who didn't share your values or didn't share your lifestyle, it 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 just doesn't make sense, does it? This is so. This is a good move, and uh, generally speaking, there's quite a lot of improvements. There's all, there's one sticking point that comes to my mind, and it is this, uh, the the definition of vilification. Uh, that um, uh, vilification, what exactly it is, um, it is still being hammered out in our society because we understand we should not be um, we should not be inciting people to violence or in even inciting them to hate, provided the understanding of what hatred is. It's a very strong word, and and in this uh, legislation, it it defines vilification as an incitement to hatred and violence. And uh, so words words are fascinating when they get into legislation. They develop a life of their own and uh, so there's probably going to be a bit more work uh, done on that because it's an important definition. It is and uh, might be the definition that keeps the courts from being clogged with all sorts of cases. Charles, exactly, yeah. the uh, some other issues just to cover quickly, the Australian National University 2019 election study, uh, some insights into how Australia's changing in terms of social and political affiliation. Uh, you've been looking at some of those statistics. How do they look? Well, they do reflect the way in which our society is being po- uh, polarised generationally and by gender. So that the voting pattern for over 65s, for, uh, for instance, between the Coalition and Labour, 60% voted for the Coalition and 29 for Labour. Uh, but among those under 35 23% voted for the coalition, 37 for Labour, and 28 for the Greens. Um, the Greens vote for over 55s was only 3%. And so we can see here that that the politics is being is being uh, kind of um, polarised by by age and certain things. You know, there's reasons for this. The way in which uh, um, the whole education system and the and the and the the, the, the informal culture, as it were, through social media, etc., is is setting new expectations and new values. And of course, the business of of the climate is very, very uh, important to younger people because it's so much so central to their to their media interests. Well, this and, is uh, one of yeah. the issues, isn't it? The sticking point. If you want to be able to say what is motivating, driving the agenda of a younger generation. Uh, issues, including climate change, actually are quite elevated, aren't they? They're very elevated. Um, uh, the World Vision and the Barna Group did a, a study into into a life for the under-35s, and uh, they were particularly focused upon uh, what makes what's going on in their emotional and psychological life and what makes them anxious. And... Uh, and 42% uh, of them said, this was a global study, so not just Australian, but 42% of them said here in Australia, actually in New Zealand, that um, that climate change was the thing they worry about mo- most. It's a sort of big gorilla in their, in their psyche. And um, so 
whatever we might feel about the science of climate change, what we have to address is the the factor of the anxiety that's associated with it. That it's that the anxiety is driving so much of the political association, or and not just political association, but the social association. Charles, don't want to miss a very very important topic to talk about today, and that is the idea. Well, Facebook is back on the front page in the headlines and the accusation is that they've been fueling an avalanche of child abuse. Now that's all statistical. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, for some of the reporting, uh, for some of the issues around Facebook and, and you know the idea of how we might deal with this responsibly? Yes, last last week when we were talking, we mentioned the fact that there was uh, that Facebook used to have an, a company that they hired in order to try to make sure that the that that, uh, that things unsavoury things were not uploaded onto uh, onto Facebook, and that company had fifteen thousand people looking at all the the, the posts and things because there's just so much activity on Facebook. It's just staggering, isn't it? To think it was that big, but. Facebook was saying there that they felt that they'd sort of got the issue under control and they had technology to to recognise when um, you know exploitative material was being uploaded. But but this report saying that that wasn't the case. This is something uh, a, a report by uh, an international body uh, that that's been tracking Facebook over 2018, and they identified that nearly two thirds of the 18.4 million worldwide reports of child sexual abuse. That's a lot, isn't it? Came through Facebook. That's huge. Came through Facebook, and and of course, sorry. This uh, this idea of uh, a threat globally uh, has come uh, from other assessments and reports, and uh, it really is now creating what is a terrifying commentary on what's happening globally, and uh, and this all happening, and you know we go on with our lives uh, happily going day to day, but all of this stuff's going on uh, on the very platform that we all tend to like to use facebook yes it's it's a it's a huge issue they're saying things like um, like in 2018 1.8 million more men with a sexual interest in children uh started using the internet in that year uh, <laughs> that was uh, you know, this is sort of epidemic, and the other studies suggest that it's almost as high as 4.4 men have viewed child sexual abuse online, globally. And uh, and next year, um, as the internet, even 5G makes internet uh, pornography and things like that much more available uh, um, globally, they're expecting that these numbers will just be kind of overwhelmed by what the numbers in 2020. Uh, are and and groups like Facebook, they're so they're saying that um, that they want to do end-to-end encryption in order to, in a sense, make uh, the the the, uh, the environment the environment the online environment safer for uh, commercial interests and for private interests. But what that means is it also makes it safer for the, the wicked interests of those that want to corrupt children and uh, and corrupt people that 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 have a. Uh, an interest in in child exploitation so they can't work out a way of having both good privacy and good security against those people that are doing this terrible thing to children because we're talking now about millions and millions and millions of children that have been that have been abused in this way and how it damages them it damages them not only in their childhood but for the rest of their life it damages them in their sense of humanity and in their sense of the humanity of others and uh, and so we are creating 
you know, as it were, multitudes of people who are socially um, socially complica complicated and uh, compromised by the, the victimisation they've been subject to. Let's look at this through Christian eyes for a moment, Charles. Uh, exploitation, abuse, uh, through a platform like Facebook, as you say, the dramatic growth of that abuse that is continuing to grow. And I would imagine that, you know, those sorts of numbers, even around the world, as, as people who are in poorer nations are getting a hold and being introduced to social media in this way. How do we look at these things? What can we glean from maybe from the Bible, from from Jesus himself, when it comes to how you deal with issues like this sort of exploitation and child abuse? Well, I find it fascinating that Jesus spoke directly to the subject. Obviously, child abuse is something that isn't hasn't just been invented, you know. But he he in Matthew chapter eighteen we read that he used this very graphic visual picture of. Uh, saying that it was better uh, for a millstone, uh, it, it was better. He uses the illustration of a millstone. He's saying it: if somebody offends children in this way, it would be better for them if they had a millstone tied around their neck and they were thrown into the depths of the ocean. He's saying it was better for them that they die in that way than that they commit these terrible offences. He's he's amplifying the seriousness of this to God. He's saying child abuse is, is one of the things that offends God in a very deep way. And uh, when I think about it as a, as a kind of a global phenomenon now, you know, very often, and I, I'm stirring the possums in saying this, I recognize, but very often, for instance, we look at what's happening in the environment and we think this is the number one concern. But Jesus is using the kind of language that says something that's even more important is what's happening to the children of the world. And uh, it, this is what uh, that gets God really angry. And so it's, um, you know, we, we may not want to recognize that some of the things that are happening in the world are the, the anger of God at this kind of offense against the innocent. Uh, but this is the nature of the Christian faith, that the Christian faith says we have a moral responsibility to protect the innocent, and uh, and this is this is a profound and important part of what it is to be Christian, and I think it's so important for us as the church to keep in touch with these kinds of issues and not to allow our faith to become so much about our own personal comfort that we forget that we are in the world as light and as salt to protect this kind of corruption. This is the thing that's actually making people slaves. This is the thing that's making people um, uh, trapped in the dark. Uh, and, and how important it is for us to, to not just be always at the bottom of the hill with the ambulance, but to be involved in the political environment to sort of say governments must must get a get a handle on this and society must get a handle on this and the church must do everything it can to reduce the appetite for it well charles the organization you lead is called family voice australia and we devote a lot of time on vision christian radio to issues of the family and i love talking about these sorts of things with someone like yourself who's so passionate about these areas because what we're seeing is a changing culture and part of the changing culture is the way that parents are so easily distracted from uh, the thing that we might all argue is the primary concern of how they relationally uh, connect and protect our children. So uh, there's a certain sense here in which there's things are changing and somehow or other you've got to make a choice to be able to be the family leader that you're called to be and actually protect your own children. 
Exactly. And I, I, I sort of speak to church leaders here about the importance of, of strengthening the national, natural family and of calling fathers in particular to account on this issue. That love in the family is a choice. It, it's a choice to put the spiritual and psychological well-being of our children ahead of other interests. There are so many things in our world today that compete for our appetites and time. But when we choose to be parents, then we make a choice to commit to the well-being of those children and to be the good fence around them, together with other families. That's what the local church is about. It's about being a safe place, a place where people can heal, a place where people can live in safety. And 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 this is this is takes deep work. It's not just uh, something that we just tick off on. It's 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 the it's to be the very nature of the community of faith because there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people in our communities these days that need that kind of place of healing. Well, Charles Newington, as I always say, and I don't think we've had a single segment. Uh, where we've had you contributing on these levels where I haven't said. I appreciate the depth of your insights and uh, certainly really, really love those insights today. Charles Newington is the National Director of Family Voice Australia. There is a website uh, I'll point listeners to, familyvoice.org.au. Get informed, get resourced about how you can be a part of the way that the culture, while we see it changing so often, how you can be a pillar in your own family and uh, to uh, to be able to be a godly and biblical leader of your family. Charles Newington, thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us once again today on 2020. Well, thank you again, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.